All right. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you heard the first episode of Chronic Illness and Decision Making. If you haven't, I'm sure this will be a standalone episode, but you might want to head back and take a listen to our first episode where we covered a lot, (laughs) so much, dating, school, where to live life decisions. Um, But you just had like major life changes and the ring on your finger shows. (laughs) How was that like planning a wedding did you have to make decisions about how to handle your wedding like or the reception around your illness or your honeymoon and we'll get into travel and planning with chronic illness too with that but I was just really curious like did you have to make different decisions on like the venue or like for me like it had to be flat (laughs) and there was there was no one there because I get anxiety around people so there was like 10 people at my wedding and we didn't have dancing afterwards because my dad's very disabled too so it was just like 10 people and we all sat around afterwards at a restaurant which is fabulous but did you have anything you had to like switch around switch around um thinking it's funny every time you ask me these questions because um I think in relation to a lot of the Spoonies, uh, space is a big consideration. And for me, it's not usually space. It's more like where, I mean, space or environment. Well, I guess there's the whole temperature thing. Uh, but there, there are a lot of considerations I make. They're just a little different or things I had to worry or try not to worry about. Um, I'll go back to actually my bridal shower uh, my bridal shower was, um, actually like a day before New Year's Eve. And I, I had some kind of flare up that I'll, I still don't understand. I had a fibro flare up and then I had some kind of gastrointestinal flare up that I do not understand. Nothing changed about my diet. I didn't have food poisoning. All I know was that my stomach was so distended. And by the way, I'm undiagnosed, but I, they say I have IBS too. We just know that I'm very sensitive there, which makes sense. Uh, And I was in terrible pain. I was was hunched over. And I started uh, talking to all these people on Facebook in in chronic illness groups. uh, And I was like, what do I do? I have to put on a dress that is tight in the middle (laughs) in four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and it's my wedding shower. And so... I was um, really distraught and it turned out that, I mean, this is how I solved it, but it's not really the point. My aunt who is Korean, like from Korean, fabulous. She makes her own vinegars that are like life changing for gastrointestinal system. She's unbelievable. Anyway, she made me drink like a bottle and I was fine. Uh, like less than an hour before my bridal shower. But I, I'm, I want to mention this because I actually didn't think about what if I had a flare up before my wedding? It like didn't even cross my mind. And then I was like, holy shit, that seems like super possible. I, you know, stress can, can lead to pain and sometimes even flare ups. And I had like a mini panic attack afterwards. I was like, wait, I'm spending all this time and money on this wedding. And I want it to be everything I've ever dreamed of. And, and what if, what if it, I can't, or, or what if it's just awful, um, to, to fast forward, it was actually a dream wedding and it was perfection. Thank God. Like really, I, I feel so lucky. It was, I wouldn't change a damn thing about it. Um, 
but I was definitely worried. And I thought about it for like the next five months, how I could prepare for this wedding. Cause it was like 160 people. Um, it, you know, it was big space. Zev is all about dancing and obviously I am too. So there were considerations with the dress and movement and comfort. Oh my, yeah. Like, Oh, I got, you'll love this, Monica. I bought shoes mm-hmm. from Freed store. The, now the Chicot Freed store dance shoes so that they were flexible and soft. And just like point shoes, they were dead by the end of the night. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, perfection. And they were, you know, small heels, not, not big ones, but all of, I had to make very conscious decisions about my dress and also wanted to look great. Uh, and so it, I just, in lots of ways, um, Oh, temperature. I had to tell, <laughs> I had to tell the major D like many times, like it needs to be like this. Otherwise I'm going to be, you don't want to see me <laughs> the way I'll react. It's like, I promise you I'm not bridezilla. I am sick. <laughs> <laughs> so good about it. I'm actually really proud of the fact that I wasn't Bridezilla. <laughs> I totally like could have been with all my specificities, but no, I was good. Um, but I will say, so in the, in the last, uh, podcast, the one that we're extending, I mentioned that I had an argument with myself really recently about how I identify as someone who is clumsy and and ditzy and, um, how, you know, some of that is definitely my illness, but a lot of it might also just be an identity that I've considered to be truth. Mm. That sort of argument that that diary entry that I wrote to myself started with thinking about my wedding because when people would ask me, what is your favorite part of your wedding? My first response would be somewhat of a joke, (laughs) which is, during the horror, I'm, I'm Jewish, so you do that thing where everyone dances. Oh, yeah. You in a chair. Like, it was great. Except for the fact that I fell out of my chair. No! Yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly, it has nothing to do with Eva being clumsy. Uh, the best man, who I love dearly, you can actually see in the video, he just kind of like, I don't know, it, he gave way and he was in the front. And it was like mid It was like catapulted. <laughs> and... <laughs> And Zev, you can imagine Zev knowing what I go through physically, he almost had a heart attack and I land in the middle of the crowd, right? I actually stuck the landing because of my shoes and how I designed my dress. And, you know, like a, a gymnast went, ta-da! With my ah! And it was a beautiful moment. And I, and I did love that. And it was funny. We all laughed about it. But the fact that when people asked me about my wedding, and I would say, oh, the best moment was when I stuck the landing when I fell out of my chair. You know, talk about an identity. Yeah. Jew. I was like, shit, why was that the thing that I say to people, even if it is a joke? But, I mean, like, let's be real. A lot of the jokes that we we have made about us or that we make about ourselves are, are like, shortcutting the truth or the painful truth, like... You know, like that, I mean, that's that's the backbone of comedy, isn't it? Like we're all like we make fun of like what we're not ready to seriously deal with, or this is our way of seriously dealing with with like like I yeah I mean I'm I'm trying to find words and I'm failing miserably <laughs> for a writer that sucks <laughs> for a podcast and you are really entertaining. Um, but no, absolutely hear you there. I think that's that's something that a lot of us who are funny use that so much. 
I don't get funny a lot, but I definitely get silly because I think it all, you know, that ties into all of my, I guess, misfortunes that entertain people is more that I'm silly. I'm actually not, I don't think I'm that funny. I am silly. I make people smile and and that's all I care about. Uh, But I really have started to know, notice how often people say, oh, that would happen to you. Uh, I used to not mind that and like take it as like, yeah, that's me. And now it's like, shit. Yeah. Like, what, what? are you trying to say about that? <laughs> I've just, and I have this flashback. We, you know, we talked about dating before, um, on my first date with like a major love of mine, someone I dated for three years on our first date, I tripped or some, something, I did something like that. And I said, my friends call those Eva moments. Now I think of it and I'm sad. Yeah. No, like we don't want to necessarily be known for, (laughs) for tripping and falling. Like apparently I didn't care until recently. It it only recently became something that I'm fighting against and I, and I'll update you and see how this goes um, with me trying to shift my identity despite having very loose and painful joints. So we'll, I'll let you know if things improve. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I've had to like revisit. Like, so one of the biggest things about having children, and we'll we'll definitely talk about that life decision or that life shock and surprise. Either way that goes, that you decide or don't decide. In my case, um, is that they're always constantly showing you yourself back, good and bad, and um, I always have to reevaluate. Like, because what I do is way more of what they take on than what I say. So that's a huge thing because like you can really think through what you say. Your actions are not always thought through. And a lot of my actions aren't thought through at all because I get sick or I can't. Like the biggest thing we're dealing with right now as a family is my memory is so bad because I'm on very high levels of painkillers to just be able to do the baseline of parenting. And that's really messed with my memory. So my kids are always going, don't you remember that? Don't you remember us doing this? Don't you remember this? And I... I'm a crap liar. I cannot lie to save my life. And um, it's always like, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to tell me the story. And it really hurts them because like part of like what we tell this culture mothers are is the memory keepers. Like we're supposed to remember all of it. And I can't. It's a it's this constant like, okay, I can't like I can't think of myself as a failure in this. Otherwise, I'll be my story that I tell myself. And then that becomes something. So it's like this. This constant revision, like for the last, like, I've been doing this for 18 years now. So it's 18 years of revising myself constantly. Yeah, that's definitely something that I, I feel I have to deal with every day. And it's um, definitely memory, but I think more than anything, it's confusion. And that's what I've been noticing. Um, actually noticing that I'm not noticing. People will point it out to me that I say literally the opposite of what I mean. Mm. Um, Yeah. And only recently did people start actually pointing it out to me more often. I think, or at least with uh, my husband, I I asked him to, and it was embarrassing to me. And he said, don't worry, we know what you mean. And again, I was like, that's not okay though. Not, not from him, from me. It's just like the, Oh, those are just Eva moments. I'm, I, it's actually, I'm almost annoyed that it's become negative for me because I was happier when I didn't care. (laughs) I'm annoyed that I'm pissed. I'm pissed off at the fact that I'm labeled this way now because people clearly still love me and and respect me despite it. 
Yay. Well, you, you make a good point about the respect part. And um, I know, like, I just did a, a, another one that will go live soon, which is um, staying politically active while chronically ill. A dream of mine would be to run for office. That is a dream that I'm, I have to be very realistic. That's not going to happen. But a lot of that is because I get confused so often. Like, I can't debate my 17-year-old. How would I? And that's not saying anything about my, my child. My child is very smart, and he's very good at debate. But if I can't debate with him for 10 minutes, how would I handle, like, a group of people? How would I handle, like, things? And that's been very frustrating because, like, I might be very smart when I write things, but I have time to think. So that really just leaves me out of a lot of jobs where I'd have to be on my toes. And I mean, aside from the fact that I can't be on my toes, I can't stand for very much and I can't sit for more than like, uh, I really shouldn't sit for more than five, five minutes at a time. Um, but anyway, that's like one of my frustrations is like that confusion really keeps me from a lot of things that I would like to do. I'll, I'll tell you something that I'm, I'm exploring right now. So I said before, I, I wonder how much of it is me identifying versus my actual illness. Mm. And the reason why I really care to look into that, other than the fact that, you know, I would like to see if I can diminish any of my symptoms or something like that is because there's already a little indicator. So I have a startup, which means that I need to pitch to pretty uh, Go ahead people. right now. What do you oh, run? Okay. So my startup is Wellacopia, and Wellacopia is a matching platform for patients and practitioners based on compatibility. And when I say patients, I'm talking to you guys. We focus on spoonies, people with autoimmune conditions and fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue, and then uh, specialists who, well, specialize in you guys. Um, and when I talk about matching based on compatibility, I mean relationships. So I like, I don't think there's a single Spoonie out there who hasn't dealt with a doctor that doesn't understand them or that they don't like. Uh, and so we're basing our matching on, um, other than more specifics about your condition, like your preferences and approach to care, uh, even personality traits and more background on the doctor. So I would really love anyone's input, actually. Yeah, so go to wellcopia.com, and it's going to be linked. By the way, no, she does not financially support this podcast. I just totally believe in it. I think it's an amazing business. So that's why I'm pitching hers, because um, no money is changing hands. I just, I adore her, and I adore her business. So anyway, but that also goes to another thing that we, I didn't write down in my little notes. See, Kiros, it's not just you I go off of notes on. It's my own notes. Um one of the big things that we didn't get to when we were talking about where to live was being close to hospitals or being close to to doctors. And if you have something rare and weird like zebra, um, a little Ehlers-Danlos me, and with my POTS, um, I just had a issue where I was found unconscious on the floor at 1 o'clock in the morning. Like, I... As much as I love the idea of living on an island, and I do, <laughs> that's scary because I really shouldn't be that far away from a hospital. And I need to be near teams of doctors, even though I haven't found that team yet. I'm still hopeful I will. And I need to be near a pain clinic that believes me and believes in me. And um, you bring up such a great point as well, Copia, of like matching people with with those doctors and finding them wherever you are in the country, in your country. I'm hoping you're going to go international soon. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we, we have listeners in South Korea and Kenya and China. I mean, like it's great. Russia. Thank you, by the way. Thank you so much. We love you. Um, but uh, this is such a good thing to have to be able to match people up. And it's also something that as a chronic illness uh, person that you have to consider when you're thinking about where to live or how to find your team. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. And uh, for that reason, we're actually doing our best to put on as many telemedicine doctors as humanly possible. So for those of you who don't know telemedicine, I really were to spread awareness because this is just where medicine's going and it's going to be better for you guys. Telemedicine means that you chat with a doctor over video. And while the first time it might happen, it might be a little weird. All studies show that satisfaction is right on par. It's just that, I mean, there are certain things you can't do via video, but you'd be surprised by how much you can. And then you could do like certain tests. Please tell like- me when I can get my OBG or my uh, gynecology like pap smear where <laughs> I don't have to go in. Yeah. I mean, like, please, I hate that more than anything. <laughs> but, but you'd be surprised. Like a lot of it actually might be that you're, let's say you're a gastroenterologist or you're a gynecologist or whoever you do need to see in person, at least at some point. You can do most of it from home afterwards. So a lot of doctors also require that you see them first. So what we're trying to do is get as many doctors, these great specialists um, in each state. And then so maybe let's say if you do need to see them at least once in person, you do go schlep to them once and then you don't need to anymore. But then a lot of these you might not need to. And if you all right, I'm going to just. I don't know if it's called a plug. I'm going to just say something that I very firmly believe in. I think everyone, but especially Spoonies, need therapists. I think it's really, really important. I think everyone should have one. Um, But therapy, luckily, is something that you can definitely do via telemedicine. Um, And because if you do it via telemedicine, it means you have so many more options of doctors or therapists, you know? Um, so that's just my personal opinion. No, but also just getting there. Like I can't drive very far, so I have to get a ride. Um, if I have to wait in the waiting room for too long, last, um, the last gynecology visit, I almost passed out on the table because she had left me in the room for 45 minutes. By the time she got in there, I'm sitting still with my heart rate at like 180. I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, can you just, can we just get this done before I faint? Or like, go ahead and let me faint so I don't have to feel any of it. <laughs> like, oh, I hate, hate, hate the gynecologist's office so bad. Anyway, sorry, my own issues. But it's a real issue of like, Sitting in waiting rooms is hard for people with POTS and Eller stainless and fibro. Like, that's painful. Like, that's a, that's a big, like, thing there. Like, that that could really change a lot. Yes, you'd have to still go in for some things, but for, like, hey, this weird thing happened. You want to just, like, see if we can, like, figure it out here, and then you can tell me which which tests I need to get, and then I can schedule those instead of having to schedule the appointment with you, too. Like, yeah. yeah. I can see that working well, especially for people in remote areas, too. Exactly. So like I'm an admin of a, like a fibro group on Facebook and there's 50,000 people on it. And I started looking at the statistics and like 75% of them are in rural areas, which totally makes sense. Yeah. And it was that. And also when we did like the beta testing for Wellacopia that I realized, you know, like what, what do we do? We thought we were just going to like launch in New York and 
you know, gain, gain critical mass there. That's what it's called, like build out there. And then I was like, oh my God, but all these people, I need to help like now. And I can't just build in cities and it would take forever. So while we might have like a lot of them in New York city, I got to find as many telemedicine practitioners as possible so that I can reach those in the rural communities. Yeah. So you as a chronic illness person can make different decisions on where to live. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I will bring it back. I could, I could bring it back. So what is like, oh, we're already at 20 minutes and I'm like, we haven't even gotten to kids yet. And like, I feel like that's like talking is like a lot of you who I've interviewed. Thank you. You still keep in touch with me and text me questions. And like, even like some of our listeners will, will send me emails and ask questions. And a lot of what I get is about kids because I'm pretty like open that I have children. I know out of the child closet, I've got two of them. And, um, I, so I did not get to make a decision on this. Uh, this was a big shock. I was very young and I was told by a doctor that I couldn't have children, that I would never be able to have children. It was just a physical impossibility. And because of my disorders, I shouldn't take birth control pills. So she's like, don't worry about birth control because you can't get pregnant. Not going to happen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So he's now 17 and the best thing ever. And I'm so grateful that things worked out the way they worked out. But one thing I will say is about, um, I was going somewhere with this, wasn't I? Uh, yes. Decisions on having children. Um, it's such a personal thing, but if I had known what I had was genetic, I don't know what my decisions would have been if I was able to make the decisions. And I've talked to people who have absolutely known that what they have is genetic and they've absolutely chosen to have children. And that's amazing and wonderful. All of this is personal (laughs) and personal decisions that everyone has to make for their own family, their own life. Um, I'm just really grateful it worked out this way. But part of why I made the decision to have a baby, even though I was like in not the position to have a baby, was I was told I couldn't have kids. And I was like, what if this is like the only chance, (laughs) like it was, there was so much about my health that really made that choice for me. Like, I I, I don't know. I'm very grateful. And my kids, the only thing I can say about being a mom with chronic illness is that they are the best thing I have to keep me going with chronic illness. Like I was just reading one of our listeners, very dark posts lately, and it makes me sad. And I wish I was closer because I would do everything I could for her. But I don't ever, I'm not allowed to get there because I have a small person who jumps on me in the morning and is like, okay, what do you need this morning? Do you need me to do the dishes? Can I help feed the chickens? Do you need your pills, mom? I can get you your pills. My big guy will come in and he's like, all right, you're not doing good. What can I do? Do you need something? Do you need me to like, I'll get your wheelchair for you, mom. And then he will start making really snarky remarks about it, which is fantastic because he is definitely my kid. Um, so I will say like, you know, if you're thinking about it and you're like, there's no possible way I can do it. I also have a world of support, like very supported on all this, but that's just my own experience with having kids and chronic illness. And it's just, it's a big choice. Like even without chronic illness, like the idea that you're going to like, get this human (laughs) and like the idea that like I was ever emotionally like mature enough to raise a human is just hilarious to me. Like. I, I don't know who to sign on those cards, but they're pretty funny. Yeah, I think, I mean, just having a baby in general will flip your life upside down. Uh-huh. 
It's insane. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have kids yet, which is what I'll get to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when you have a, a, a condition, it's like a whole other layer on top of that. Could be a thin layer, could be a very thick layer. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, and it, depending on, like, We're, if you're deciding to adopt or get a surrogate or actually carry the baby, like, that's, like, huge. But if you decide to carry a baby, you don't know how your medication's going to react to a pregnancy because they don't test medications on pregnancies for very obvious reasons. So there's very few medications that were ever tested through a pregnancy. And you have to make those decisions on if you're going to go off of them, how safe is that for you? If you continue, is that safe for the child? Like, there are so many questions when you're sick and considering this. Yeah, and I'm considering a lot of them right now. I I'm, don't. I didn't mean to push you into this conversation. Like, like, you didn't want to have it here. Well, no, but because I think especially talking about it with this community is, is important to me since... Um, I mean, a lot of people, if, if they do understand or they look like they understand, it's more like they give that face like a, what's that emoji that shows all the teeth? It's like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, sure. I, I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, so, and actually it happened the other day. <laughs> people, someone was asking me about my miles, milestones in my business and like what I project and how much money I want to make and all this stuff. And and I said something like, I need to be able to, I need to financially prepare and also just prepare for this success of Wellacopia uh, to, to be able to step back like a lot, like possibly completely um, for a year or two, let's just say. And he was shocked. He looked at me and was like, but this is your baby. Like you, you know, you're doing all this to create it and for your community. Why would you just leave? Why would you want someone else to take the reins uh, for a while? And I said, well, um, I know that I do know that I want to have kids. I've been maternal since I was a kid, um, you know, dolls and all that. And, uh, I said to him, look, I'm not saying as a mother, I have to take off all of pregnancy and have to take the whole first year postpartum off. I'm saying I might have to, like, I might not have a choice. Uh, and that could be, pain. It could be, uh, I mean, you're fatigued anyway when you're pregnant and postpartum, right? (laughs) So I I, I, I think that we're using the word fatigue wrong. I think, um, um, your marrow has been carved out of your bones. And if anyone is a Harry Potter freak like me, do you remember Voldemort at the end, like on the platform? That was me. Oh my God. Until I think they hit, like, I think it was like seven when I started to be like, oh, I have a pulse again. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what the future holds. I could have a really great pregnancy and a terrible postpartum, vice versa, or just both suck. I mean, something about pregnancy that I'm really worried about, and I'm sure you can speak on this, is when you're pregnant, your joints become more lubricated. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. Do you see the I'm smile? Just- Do you see the, like, all teeth smile? <laughs> I mean, I, I did not have my LH stainless style dis- dislocations. I had them. I, I didn't have the diagnosis when I was pregnant with either of them. And the big shock was, why is my body getting rid of babies at five months gestation? Like, I started labor with both of them at five months because the ligaments weren't holding babies. And <laughs> that was scary. And no one could answer why. I mean, like, there's a lot. And I am not a doctor. Please do not take anything we were saying as medical advice. Talk to your doctor. 
don't sue us, um, is the underlying there. <laughs> but that's huge. And I also have to point out that you and I are in a very privileged situation. We both have spouses who work actual jobs that have money coming in. We are not single mothers. Um, we are also in an economic status that is better than a lot of people. And we have the option to take time off if we have to. And I have to speak to like the spoony moms out there who are like struggling and running in circles and running in a hamster cage. They're going like, I don't even have time to breathe, let alone take care of myself or get to my doctor's appointments, let alone my kids' doctor's appointments. And I'll get fired if I take another day off from work. And there's a lot there. And then if you, thank you everyone internationally listening to us in America, we have a lovely thing that is called health insurance. It is not like your health insurance. It comes from our jobs. And if you do not have your job and if you get fired for your job or you get downgraded to part-time, you lose health insurance. Now what you guys pay when you go to the hospital if you don't if you don't fall within your health plan is not what we pay. I had to pay $15,000 for a single scan at an emergency room. That expression, yes. $15,000 um, because they scanned me and I had insurance. They still charged me at my insurance, decided that was not, that I was going in there for fun. I mean, what else was I going to do on a Friday night but have a CT scan? <laughs> so, like, when we're talking about these decisions you have to make with healthcare and with as a, a chronic illness person, that's partly like the decisions you have to make to keep your job, the decisions you have to make on whether you can actually take that medical test, go to that doctor out of state. Um, when you're thinking about having kids, or if you have kids and you have chronic illness, all of the stuff you have to miss anyway for your kids at work, but you'd also risk losing their health insurance and yours here in the U.S. So any of you who are complaining about your national health care system, talk to me first. <laughs> I, I, I understand there's bad things about it. I get it. I get it's not perfect, but please chat with me before you complain too much. Yeah, I think it's just the, I, my only experience with it, actually... So I lived in Israel and it was fabulous there. So I got no complaints there. But my sister lives in London right now. And her big complaint is that, I mean, you can't get appointments. Yeah. And you, yeah. you, can, you really can't choose who you get either. So we'll see how well Acopia does in England. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, there's lots to explore there. This is where telemedicine is going to come in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very frightening and I've experienced it only a little, I mean, I've experienced people's stories, but I left my parents health insurance cause I'm of age. Uh, and then I went straight into Medicaid, which is, I guess, a pro of being a startup founder with no income, uh, <laughs> or, or very little income on the side. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a disaster, our healthcare system, to put it lightly, <laughs> But it does really affect our choices, and it affects the choice of staying or leaving a job. It's uh, and definitely with like having a family, especially since yes. By the way, in the United States, at the very best, unless your company is a rock star, you get six weeks. Oh yeah. yeah! After you have a baby, you get six weeks. If you work for a company with a certain amount of employees, that's not guaranteed to you, by the way. And that's only if you're a full-time employee for a company that has this many employees. That's the best we get. So if you have complications afterwards, like postpartum depression, or if you're readjusting to medication now that your hormones are different, that's fun, by the way. Really entertaining. Um, these are all things that go into factoring on on these decisions. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. When do I get a plane ticket out of here? Canada, can you adopt us? England, we tried on our own. We were teenagers. We tried. We sucked. Can you can you come back in and be the grown-ups again? We really need help here. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I, by the way, don't even bother writing me angry tweets or angry emails about anything I'm saying. I mean, you're welcome to your opinion. And if you hate what I'm saying, please start your own thing. Do well with it. Mazel tov. Blessed be. Have a great time with it. I support you doing your thing. Do not write bad things and mean things to me. I will not. I, I will read it. I will giggle and I will delete it. Not because I don't care about what you say. I'm too sick to deal with it. So that said, <laughs> can, can you tell some of the emails I've gotten? <laughs> Have you? <laughs> Every once in a while. It's entertaining. It's cute. I mean, like, everyone can have their own opinion. That's awesome. I, yeah. I don't say I'm correct. I say I have an opinion. You have an opinion. We can absolutely chat about it. If you want to chat nicely, I'm all ears for nice. <laughs> like, even if you disagree with you, you want to be nice. If you start calling me names and being rude, it just becomes a topic of conversation. <laughs> opinions are opinions. And unless you have entered into a debate at your own will, I personally am like, uh, keep them to yourself or, or at least don't hate on mine. Right. Or like, I kind of feel like in the middle of it, like you have to do like what journalists should be doing, which is someone says it's raining. Someone says it's clear. Your job is to go outside and see not to go, well, you have a point. You have a point. Like the job is to kind of go, well, let me research it and then I'll get back to you. Which having a 17 year old who has vastly different views than I do, like vastly, it's been very interesting in my house. Um, I cannot tell you how much research I have done in the last two years. He says things and I'm like, oh no, before you start the next inflammatory thing you're going to say, I need to see if that one was correct. <laughs> like, hang on. Yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> but fun in teenage racing, I can discuss later. It, it's, it's actually pretty awesome. Like I, I, I know everyone talks about how hard and awful it is. My kid is one of my favorite humans. Like both of them are my favorite humans and my teenager. I mean, th there are challenges. I won't lie, but I will say still one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And one of the most fun people to be around. So there's that. Just in case you were thinking like no kids because they turn into horrible teenagers. Uh, they kind of turn into really awesome people too. Yeah. I'm, my parents said I was incredibly easy until I went to college. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was a good child until, you know. Anyway. Oh, I did everything in high school and then I had to pay for myself. I was, I, my poor parents was like, I'm done. Peace out. Bye. And I became a living nanny. I paid for everything myself. Like I did not ask for anything just because I was so, I'm going to do it. And so because of that, I, I just was like the super good student. Like it was just no parties, no nothing. I raised kids for a living and I got straight A's. Like I just became like the perfect teenager after, after I was a teenager. It's funny. I did, I did a lot of those things. Like I was a really good student and like respected my parents and all that. It was more that I became very impulsive. Ah, and made very rash decisions. Uh, and actually this ties into something regarding kids as well. So I am on a medication that is unofficially for my fibro, but it's actually for impulsivity. Mm. Um, so I have sort of an undiagnosed impulsivity order, which some people say is bipolar too. I really just think that means I'm emotional, but because <laughs> I don't have like the manic highs and lows, mm -hmm. I just kind of go up and down. And so I take a medication that literally just cuts the impulsivity, but I am a hundred percent myself otherwise. So I feel very lucky that I found a good 
medication and now I live like a balanced life, but it has been highly recommended. And I'm recommending to myself that I get off of it before I become pregnant. If we're going to do some, you know, family planning. And, um, I got off my medication once before, right before I met my husband and I, well, well, a little more than right before, because I went back on it before I met him. <laughs> so a few months before, and I told myself I could get off cause I was on the lowest dose and I had learned so much and, and matured so much since I went on it. I was like, I'm going to try going off. And I did let my family know. It was like, you know, FYI, Eve is getting off of medication in case weird shit happens. And so, um, three month, three weeks in it, it, it came back and with a vengeance, my impulsivity. And it was scarier because I knew better and couldn't do better. And that's when I realized that this is, this is some chemical shit. This yeah. is, I mean, the drugs, but I meant actually my brain. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like a diabetic needs insulin, your brain needs those chemicals to function. Like this is medicine. It's the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah, it was really scary. The fact that even though I knew better, I would just think and do like, I, I imagine oh, wrist. <laughs> oh, sorry. You can't see she's holding her wrist and I'm sad. Yeah. Big um, bones sticking up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I have this visualization of, I don't know why, but I like this visualization of thoughts and actions as Pangea. You know, oh, I like when, that. When continents were stuck together and, or I actually specifically see Manhattan and Queens. Again, this just happened. I did You're not such a New Yorker. <laughs> just happened. And so like Queens and Manhattan are stuck together and that's my thoughts and my actions without my medication. And then they split up. And the Queensboro Bridge existed, and that's my medication. And as I walk across the bridge, I can think things through. And you take away my medication, it becomes Pangea again. And <laughs> um, and it was scary. So I'm thinking about okay, so let's 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 think about this for a second. I'm gonna family plan. Mm-hmm. I will have my startup because Wellacopia is going to save all the spoonies, and <laughs> um, so Wellacopia will exist. And I want to have kids and I'm going to get off medication. So here I'm going to be transitioning into the most hormonal time of my life with intense impulsivity, probably a lot of pain and discomfort. I will still technically have a startup and a husband. Uh, So, you know, want to keep him happy. Uh, And I just keep thinking to myself, I am going to do this. I am not excited about it. Uh, and, and I'm going to find ways to deal and, you know, feedback on that is always appreciated. I mean, Monica, you did tell me, like, I should find out if I have Ehlers-Danlos in case I have that, um, issue literally holding the children in. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. I I can't even tell you how scary that was. Like, it, it was nuts. Um, by the way, her going off for medication again, I will just say we are not a medical podcast. We are for education and entertainment purposes only lawyers speak. That's Please don't do this thing without talking to your doctor. Do not uh, be careful with yourselves. Yeah. yeah sorry. I'm my my own little thing there. People do or don't or yeah. how I'm we saying. are not I've advocating been- anything. We are just life experiences that we've all had. Um, same with yeah. like the pregnancy stuff with all your stainless. Like if I had known, I probably would have used taping like the KT tape to hold, like there's a lot you can 
do to help with that. That would have been awesome. But I also know that I've been considered an extremely high risk pregnancy, which meant that I would have been very limited and forced to like pretty much live in the hospital with as hard of a time as I was having carrying the babies. And um, that would have driven me crazy. I, I was just, I had just started my um, photography business uh, probably about six months before I got pregnant. So it's a oh. baby photography business. And then I got pregnant with a very traumatic and dramatic pregnancy. Like <laughs> she's awesome and totally worth it. But that was really hard to run a business at all uh, through like the first trimester where I was throwing up like every two seconds. And I was just like throwing my camera to my assistant and just running behind bushes to throw up. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, it's funny now because I've got like 11 years from that, but <laughs> it was, it was not an easy thing to run a business when my body was, and my body reacts super intense to like hormones. When I was on birth control, I threw up until I was like throwing up blood. Like I I do not do birth control pills at all. Like I I couldn't, I I got so sick on them. And that's where I found out I have a new diagnosis, by the way. I now have officially mast cell. So yay. Um, But it made so much sense with like my reactions to birth control where like I had taken Deepa Provera and I broke out in hives from my head to my feet and I just started throwing up blood and I had lost like a ton of lung tissue. It was like crazy, like massive reaction to this. And I'm like, oh, well now all of my, like all of my medical history makes sense with POTS, LR stainless, fibromyalgia and mast cell. Collect them all. (laughs) I told you I was a total geek, like a Pokemon <laughs> on this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, sometimes I actually wonder, I don't, I clearly don't have that many, but um, I wonder sometimes if I have something else because I definitely have fibromyalgia every so often I look it up and be like, do I, or is this something else? No, I have fibromyalgia, but mm-hmm. there's some other fishy things that go on that I'm not really too sure of what they are, but, uh, I guess time will tell. Um, <laughs> you know, like also going on to like discussions about medication, um, when you're a mother of children who are aware, it's very interesting the conversations you have to have about your medicine, because I am a very vocal proponent of medical marijuana. I am unapologetically completely for it. I really hope people start changing their perceptions, as I did. I was very, um, I was not anti-marijuana. I've always believed people do what you want to do, but I didn't believe in it until I just had hit a wall with medication. There's nothing left. So I was like, I will try. Now I'm the most vocal person in the world about it. But I had a preteen when I started and I had to have a very serious conversation about like, this is what I'm doing for, because it's my medicine, just like my Vicodin's my medicine. And I wouldn't want you taking that. This is what I'm taking right now. And your brain is still developing. Mine, unfortunately, has stopped developing. It's actually going the other way. So maybe you wait until you're like 25 before you do this, or let's discuss this later. But this is still illegal for you. And that's how I I phrased this with my kids was like, it's not a moral issue. What it is, is a legal issue. If you get arrested, now the whole family is involved with lawyer fees and court dates. So Please don't. We, we really are at the max on what we can hang with right now. Can you just don't add to that right now, please? So, yeah, that's another thing to also discuss. And we also have to discuss that when I have massive dislocations, I have to take Oxycontin, which is extreme and it changes my personality. So while I'm on it, it's this big discussion with the kids of like, 
this is what I'm on. And I also would choose when I could take it too, based on like when the kids were little, I couldn't take painkillers when they were home with me and no one else was. So that was like another factor that I had to put in was like, yes, I'm hurting so bad. I am like biting my inside of my mouth, like bloody, but <laughs> there's no one else in the vicinity. I cannot take something that alters my perception or my ability to react. So I will just, well, actually what I do is I text my husband and be like, you need to be home in 20 minutes. If you still want a family, please be home. I am, <laughs> I take a picture of my face looking like, ah, <laughs> Yeah, I'm that person. Um, so that's that's another thing to factor when you're thinking about kids is it's not just like during pregnancy. It's also you will have a toddler. You'll have like you have the age of what I call um, maximum ability, minimum common sense. And your reaction time has to be on point. So you also have to consider like, will I be able to take all of my medication when I need it? What what? What factors do I have set up? What factors am I able to pull in? Like, there's there's just a lot to think about. Yeah, I have to say that my mind has gone as far as, like, mentally trying to wrap my head around what pregnancy and postpartum is going to be like. I know, I know that all of this is going to be an issue as I grow as a parent. I, like, don't know if I can handle <laughs> Um, But... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I will be totally honest that I feel like this has been one of the most worthwhile experiences of my life. Would I do it over again? Absolutely. Like, without hesitation. Like, even that my circumstances were not ideal, I would do it again. And if I tried to sit down and plan all this out, it never would have happened. Like, this is stuff that I piecemealed together. <laughs> and honestly, you just have to find your tribe of people. <laughs> like, be that yeah. family, be that a family you've adopted. I'm a big fan of adopting family. Like I have lots of sisters and my children have tons of aunts and uncles that are not related to us genetically. Like no one gets through this without help. It takes a tribe, right? Uh, it takes a tribe to raise little people. It takes a tribe to raise us big people. It takes, like, we all need help all the way through. There is no, there is no man as an island bootstrapping it up to perfection. Like, we all get here with a lot of helping hands. That is true. I, uh, I, so this is like, I don't know why, that what you were just saying reminded me of something else that happened recently, slightly backtracking a bit. Um, my husband who, you know, as we both said, we were very lucky that we have husbands who really support us. Um, and really, well, I mean, they understand as much as they can and they're just like there for us regardless. Um, he is, but when we were talking about my wedding, I think it was like two nights before the wedding, something, something like that. I, we decided to take a little walk and I, because I know my husband, I could do this with him. I asked them point blank, can we talk about the things we're scared of in our future? Ooh. That is the question <laughs> everyone needs to ask before you say I do. Before you even start planning, that's a really good question. I mean, I wasn't worried. We're so good at communicating and so open. Like, really, I, be I don't have a filter. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, let's just... Remind me again why we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> so I asked him, tell me what you're most worried about with me and what you're most worried about with yourself. And the first thing that came out of his mouth with me 
was my pain. And while that doesn't probably doesn't sound like a surprise to any of you, it really was for me because he never talks about it. Yeah. And he didn't even say what. He just said, we don't know what's going to happen with it. We don't know how it's going to affect you and kids and all of that. And it was a really weird moment for me because it was like a bullet that I immediately brushed off. Mm, yeah. It's what it felt like. It was a bullet then then just disappeared because I was like, oh my God, like I wasn't even really, I mean, I think that was on the list of things I'm worried about, but I just, I don't know. I had other things in my mind and, and I was trying not to put that at the forefront. I really can't tell you, but when he said that, I guess in this conversation, I was looking for what can I be better at mm. or what can I change? Are there things that are really important to him that really I haven't made enough of an effort with? And he said that first and I'm like, okay, well, there's that. Uh, <laughs> and that's nothing you can control. That's the hard thing. You're asking for actionable things you could change. You can't change pain or, and I will argue it's really hard to change how you react to pain. Like, Yeah, it is. Um, I think I might have, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I did say once he said everything, which actually was like nothing. I feel like he said barely anything. It's like, I hate you. You're so nice. Um, <laughs> he said maybe more like, I think he might've just said, you know, your pain and technically your career is unstable. And I was like, those are legit things to worry about. <laughs> and that, I think that might've been all he said about me. He's way too awesome. Uh, I, I can list lots of things about me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when he said that, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did say something to try and back myself up or like what I can do, which is I had been doing physical therapy and it was going well to try and slow it down and maybe manage my pain. I have not actually since probably like that exact period of time. So I got to get on that. But yeah, so I, I, I threw it back at him. That sounds bad. Like, Oh, there's something I can do. It's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's something that I just remembered happened and it, and it hurt. Um, and not because he hurt me, but I didn't realize how much he thinks about it or maybe hides it because he's so good about it. Mm. I was like, what is that? Yeah, that's sad. Wait till if you have kids when they start hiding that from you, because that hurt. Yeah. But I mean, it, actually, let's think about it. Is that better? Because you don't want to hear all the, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd want to hear Zev all the time say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm scared for you or I'm scared for us. Like if he said that all the time, it would really take me down at the same time. So I I'm really that. glad that, I mean, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know also the other side of the fence. Um, and then the other day, again, rightfully so he, I was in just a really bad mood, totally put it out there. I was being that thing that one should not be. And I'm sorry. And this podcast, we get to say bitch. I've been a bitch. And <laughs> we're like, you know, I had my reasons, but there was no reason for me to be that way. And he said to me very calmly, I think you're really uncomfortable. You're in a lot of pain and you're taking it out on me. Oh, was, oh that's a smart man. Oh, he's so smart and so emotionally intelligent. I love him. And it's like, <laughs> and, and I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm in my angry state and I'm like, you're probably right. But also <laughs> X, Y, Z, you know, I don't, 
Uh, you're way too young to remember this, but there's a movie called Love Story. It is the sappiest, most biggest load of bullshit ever because one of the things they say is being in love means never having to say you're sorry. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry is basically like if someone like went around and recorded me, that's probably 90% of what I end up saying. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many times I, because my husband, if he was any calmer, would be in a coma. And I can't tell you how many times I have like gone off on him and then immediately texted back and gone like, fuck, um, I was a bitch. You did not deserve that. You were in the wrong. Don't get me wrong. You were in the wrong. <laughs> However, I could have said that differently and handled it differently. And I'm sorry, we should have a much more productive conversation later, but you did not deserve any of what I just threw at you. <laughs> I've had those conversations with my children, by the way. I've absolutely like... I'm not a big yeller, but I've yelled at them and gone back to it and gone, I screwed up. That was the wrong thing to do. What you were doing was not right, but how I handled it was not acceptable. So I'm sorry. Messed up bad. <laughs> I am actually very good at that. Uh, and it's it helps that we don't go to bed angry because, and it's not even like a rule we have, it just is. And, uh, and be, like, so let's say it's the evening and I know I'm going to go to bed soon. I'm like, okay, now is the time. If you haven't done it already, you gotta, <laughs> clear you gotta clear up your shit. Uh, so we do always do that. Um, and he, I, I, that might be like the second or third time in our entire relationship that he has ever called me out on like being a bitch or, or something because of my pain. I'm surprised he doesn't do it more often. And I wonder how much that is true when he says it, it's probably true. Because he's like, okay, I got to say it now. You've been complaining about your pain and you're also being a bitch. Uh, <laughs> those are not unrelated things. <laughs> I mean, chronic pain does change our brains. It absolutely does change our brain function. It changes our biology. And um, yes, if you are in pain every minute or if you're in pain a lot of the time, that will change your behavior. That will modify who you are. There's no way around that. I don't think like when I was in Seattle, I like, I, like I said in the first podcast, I was up there for a while and my pain levels dropped significantly when I was out in the islands, I was a different person. Like I could really feel how different of a person I was like snarky was not even in my vocabulary. I know shocking everyone, please don't drive your cars off the road. I was not snarky. I was not sarcastic. I, I wasn't even that funny. I don't think I was just really like almost Pollyanna -y hopeful and happy. And it was weird. I'm like, who is this who I actually am? Or is this who I am without stress? Is this who I am without pain? Is it like, would I adjust and become snarky later? <laughs> It was just a very strange experience to meet myself without agonizing. I mean, like, I still am pain. Please don't get me wrong. But I live at a level 8 to a level 9 every minute. There, I do not drop below 8 often. When I do, it's a 7 or a 6, and it's a great day. It means I don't need my sticks. I don't need my wheelchair. Those are good days is a 6 or a 7. So to all of a sudden get down to a 5 was like, oh my god <laughs> what magical world did I drop into like it was it was a very different experience yeah five is probably my average which is also literally average um yeah it was uh, I hadn't I, gotten to a five since I, I couldn't even tell you oh I, I I feel bad that I don't know how to process a lot of what you say it's I'm okay sorry. join the crowd <laughs> what I mean is about your pain because I'm like 
you know, my world, it has a lot of pain. It's got a lot of difficulties. And then I hear about you and, and a lot of other um, people with chronic conditions I, I've met and spoken to. And I'm just like, I really, I really can't imagine that. Um, but I do remember that we're all, we all have our own world, our own context, and it's good to be um, aware of other people's. And it's in it. And I also have to remind myself, it's okay that I don't know what that's like. I can yeah. still, um, I can still care about my state and also be compassionate towards others. Uh, and I, I was wondering if it was you who said this to me originally, but it has stayed with me. If it was wise and smart, it was absolutely me. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really, it stayed with me for like probably a year now. Um, if I was worse off, I wouldn't be able to, to, to do well Acopia and, or, or, or the things I want to do to, to help the world. I would have been able to do certain things, but I know I wouldn't be able to do well Acopia. And for that, I stopped myself from feeling guilty about not being more sick. I'm like, no. Oh, so I, now you just started another panel right there. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And we are at 56 minutes. So <laughs> we're okay. going to end it there because I think it's a great place to end it, um, which is true. Like, our, our lives, our experiences make us who and what we are. And I'm going to quote RuPaul. We live in an incredibly generous universe sometimes. And sometimes we don't get what we want. <laughs> uh, yes, Princess and <laughs> And the frog. I love Disney. Uh, we don't get what we want, but we're we're usually like, or at least in my wonderful, privileged, happy world, I get what I need. And often that does not look good, and it is not comfortable, and it is not fun, and it is absolutely fucking terrifying. But I get what I need, and that is, yeah. I guess that's where we'll end it. <laughs> look for what you need, but not what you want, even if it sucks. <laughs> Woo. There we go. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, this is probably one of our most shareable episodes. I think like there is not a single condition that you cannot send this episode off to friends, off to your Facebook support groups. Um, I think this is a really good episode for everyone. Or if there's people in your life who do not understand chronic conditions, this is also a really good one to share with them to understand a little bit more about what the community is going through. So that's my nice way of saying, please share us. We're so grateful. I mean, we had 11,000 downloads last month, which was humbling. And that expression, I cried. I won't lie. I cried. Um, I'm so grateful to everyone who's listening and subscribing. Thank you. We don't advertise. It's all based on you guys sharing us. Um, thank you. So please continue to share us. Say really embarrassing life things about us on iTunes. Hit subscribe. We just started a Patreon. Patreon. I will learn how to pronounce this someday um, because being sick in the U.S. is expensive and I don't really necessarily want to take on advertisers and I really don't necessarily want to make I actually know. Let me just make this absolutely clear. I don't want to ever charge for the content. That will never be a thing. You will never be charged for this content, but it would be nice to be able to pay my doctor bills. Ah! So um, head on over there, support us if you can. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Um, tune in next week and be kind, be gentle, be a badass. <laughs>